Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth with your host, Diane Helbig. Diane is a leading small business development and leadership coach, author, and speaker who is passionate about sharing valuable ideas, tips, and techniques with business professionals worldwide. Diane brings you the world's experts and gurus in all things business, whether it's sales, structure, social media, planning, or plateauing, guests bring their expertise and energy to each episode. When growing your business is your focus, Accelerate Your Business Growth is the show to listen to. Got a topic or guest suggestion? Let Diane know. The goal is to make sure you have the information you need to move your business forward. Thanks for joining us. Settle in and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining me. We are thrilled to be sponsored by Audible.com and to be providing you with a free trial. You can go to audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth and check out all of the incredible audio content that is there for your listening pleasure. I think you're going to be uh, pleasantly surprised because it's more than just audiobooks. Today, I am thrilled to welcome back Yannison Goldson. Yannison is Director of Ethical Imperatives, LLC, teaching professionals how good ethics is good business and the benefits of intellectual diversity. He's a keynote and TEDx speaker, trainer, coach, and community rabbi, as well as a repentant hitchhiker, recovered circumnavigator, former newspaper columnist, and retired high school teacher in St. Louis. His sixth book is Grappling with the Gray, an ethical handbook for personal success and business pro prosperity. Thanks so much for coming back on and having a conversation with me, Yannison. I'm delighted, Diane. I was looking back through my uh, files and I saw that you were the ninth interview that I've given since I've become a professional speaker. And now I've done a, about 70 of them. And the one with you, I think, still ranks among the best that I've done. So uh, you, you brought out the best of me, and you, you set the bar very high. So. <laughs> well, I have to say it was one of my favorite conversations, and you are one of my favorite guests. So I, I'm so glad to have been able to help you get into this whole realm of podcast interviews. Um, so, so, and, and I want to, so congratulations on the book. By Thank the way, um, I am really tremendously impressed with it. And um, but I want to talk about obviously ethics and 
most leaders or many leaders put ethics in the soft skill category. Ooh, and, get me started. <laughs> okay, go ahead, because that's a problem, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, soft skill is, is one of those uh, terms that, that we, we use or, or some use for something that, that's sort of optional. Or, or we'll get to it after we get to all the important stuff. <laughs> and you know, as I've been discussing this more and more, um, I keep tweaking and refining my definition of ethics, oh. which ultimately has to do with recognizing our place in the world and recognizing the impact that our actions have on those around us. Because that's what forms relationships. And success in every aspect of our lives is all about relationships, family, business, community, uh, nationally, locally. Uh, and, and you see the fallout. Uh, I mean, <laughs> another election cycle when, you know, every four years we think it can't get worse than this. And then it does. <laughs> yes. You know, if we, if we would cultivate this sensitivity for ethical speech, ethical behavior, uh, what I call the ethical mindset, uh, that would really transform our conversations, our relationships, and, and um, really everything that, that shapes the quality of our lives. Boy, I, I so agree with you. I think ethics, and, and maybe more so now because of everything that we are witnessing in the world, but it's so incredibly central, in, in my opinion, to how we show up in the world, that it really needs to be relegated to a more important place in business and politics and child rearing. Yeah, certainly. Uh, I mean, as a, as a rabbi, I come at everything from a uh, theological or biblical point of view as well. And in, in Jewish tradition, we understand that the, the second temple in Jerusalem, which was destroyed by the Romans in, in the year 70, uh, that the underlying cause of the breakdown in Jewish society that led to the temple's destruction was that Jews did not go beyond the letter of the law. And that's a pretty astonishing comment. I mean, they were keeping the law. They were following the rules. They were in compliance. Yeah. But they used the law as an excuse <laughs> to circumvent the spirit of the law. And the spirit of the law is ultimately what keeps a society healthy. Oh, my goodness. That is fascinating. So they did, oh, wow. So we really need to be living within the spirit of the law. Exactly. I mean, I, I often First. say that com compliance is the, can be the enemy of ethics because if I'm in compliance, yeah. then I can now exempt myself from further thought, from further consideration, uh, from further reflection on whether what I'm doing and how I'm acting and how I'm speaking mm -hmm. is proper or improper. And therefore, we lose the moral sensitivity that leads to trusting relationships and trusting cultures and communities that, that can thrive and prosper. Yeah, right. 
And you draw a distinction between ethical behavior and an ethical mindset. And I was wondering if you would expand on that. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, the, the truth is that we're human beings, we're gonna make mistakes. And there are so many gray areas. I mean, that's why I chose the, the, the title for my new book, Grappling with the Gray. Uh, it's gray areas and it's gray matter because our brains are frequently faced with choices not between uh, right and wrong, which can sometimes be easy, but even then can be difficult, but choices between right and right or wrong and wrong, shades of gray. And there's no app for being ethical. You, you can't have a, you can't carry around a book that you, you just turn to, you flip through the pages, you find the answer to your question, life's messy. And decisions are difficult and there are going to be consequences that are unpleasant sometimes no matter what choice we make. And so sometimes we're going to get it right, sometimes we're going to get it wrong. But what is guiding our decision-making process? That's what I call the ethical mindset. It's that willingness to look at both sides of the issue first, to be willing to see the big picture, not just how does it affect me in the short run, but how does it affect others? How does it affect the big picture? What are gonna be the long-term consequences? What's going to ultimately be best for all of us together? And since some people are going to win in the short term, some people are gonna lose, we've gotta make those tough decisions. We've gotta do it in a way uh, that demonstrates integrity, that has transparency, which is such a cliche, but it's still, we're, we're not doing it right. So that people can recognize that even if I don't like the outcome, even if I don't agree with the outcome, I can have a certain amount of confidence in the process that brought about an outcome and I can live with that outcome. Wow, thank you so much for that. I totally get it. I, I, I think that's really critically important. And so what would you say are the practical benefits of ethical leadership? Well, there's so many different levels. Um, there's a uh, Harvard Business Review article that, that has 10 years of research um, on why the companies that are ranked highest in ethics are ranked highest for trust in their, in their company culture beat the average dramatically on every rubric I mean, we're not just talking about um, the uh, return on um, beating the S&P or the, the, the Russell Index. We're talking about the employees, their appreciation of the, the mission and the purpose of the country, company, their interaction with their peers, their sense of well-being, the, the lack of burnout the likelihood that they're going to recognize, their, uh, recommend, sorry, their, their workplace to others as a good place to work. You know, it, if you like the job you do, if you like the work you do, if you feel it's meaningful, if you feel that you're appreciated and your work is recognized and you're given credit where it's credit it's due and you can, you can go for help when you need it and you're involved with colleagues and coworkers that you feel this sense of collaboration and community 
You're not going to wake up in the morning dreading the work day. You're not going to be counting the hours until you get to go home or get to take off on the weekend. And you're going to be highly productive because you are going to be invested in the work you're doing and the purpose you're serving. So you know, I, I, was, I was talking to another uh, podcast host and she said to me, you know, this is all so obvious. Why doesn't everybody do it? <laughs> that was going to be my question. <laughs> What's the answer? It well, seems so I mean, easy. It seems easier than the alternative. It's, it's easy in the long run, but as we all know, <laughs> the short run is, is more attractive than the long run. Uh, you know, if you want to learn a bit to play a musical instrument, uh, if you want to learn a sport, if you want to learn a craft, you're going to have to work and work and work you know, in a diligent, disciplined way. You're going to have to have teachers and mentors, and you're going to have to hold yourself accountable to learn the craft. And if you want to take shortcuts, well, that's going to affect your competence in the long run. So why do we keep doing it? Because we're in conflict with ourselves. We, we have the amygdala, which is always looking for short-term gratification. And we got the frontal lobe, which is saying, hey, slow down, take a look, see where things are going. And they're in battle. They're at, they're at war with each other. And that's just part of the human condition. And once we recognize what's going on inside ourselves, and we see how that affects so much of society, not for the better, then at least we can start to reason our way to making the choices that are ultimately in our own best interest. Hmm. Can you share um, some examples of ethical dilemmas that um, really can instruct us in developing uh, an ethical mindset? You know, that, that's what my book is all about. It's a whole collection of, of ethical dilemmas. And uh, one of them, which uh, I remember when I read this in the headlines, it really got into my skin. Um, a, uh, some passengers were seated on a, on a plane waiting for their flight to take off. And they were all bunched together in the back. And there were a number of empty seats in the front with just a few people spread out. So one of the passengers said to the, the flight attendant, um, could I move up into one of those empty seats? And the flight attendant said, no, those seats are reserved for, uh, I think it's economy plus passengers, that they pay a premium to sit in those seats. And so the, the passenger said, well, nobody's sitting in them right now. And we're all bunched together here. Uh, and the, the flight attendant said it's against policy. And so this passenger texted, um, I guess, the, 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 the airline headquarters or their, their PR, their whoever, their customer service department, and explained the situation. And the answer was, no, if you buy a, a Toyota, you can't drive off in a Lexus just because no one's using it right now. Well, what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> there's just so many things wrong with this story. Now, the, the, there's a, there are a number of distinctions, there are a number of nuances. For instance, if it would have been first class seats, so you could make the case that 
you know, the first class seats are, are significantly different quality seats. And that if you let one person take those seats, why that one person and not any of the other people? And what about the people who paid for those seats? And now somebody's sitting next to them for free. So you can make the argument that doesn't really work. But in this case, the economy plus seats, they were the same seats. They were simply available for passengers who wanted the opportunity to board early to get their choice of seats. Well, once they boarded early, they'd gotten what they paid for. Right? So now if you let somebody move forward, yeah. not only are you making that person comfortable, but you're making the people in the back more comfortable because now they have more space and all the seats are the same. And of course, the same seats get used over and over again. It's not like if you drive off in the Lexus, they're never going to see the Lexus again. So, so that's frankly insulting <laughs> to, you know, to use an argument that just doesn't hold water shows not only a lack of, of customer service, but a certain lack of, of intellectual integrity that you're clearly yeah. trying to make an argument to get this guy off your back instead of really taking his argument seriously. And then what made it even worse is that this guy made such a fuss that the flight attendant said, okay, go ahead and move up. Now, what does that do? That reinforces the idea that if you don't get what you want, have a hissy fit. <laughs> and, and then somebody will keep just relent because they don't have you with you anymore. So you know, if the airline would have been willing to look at the situation a little more broadly, uh, if there would have been some thought of this in the first place to create a policy, if a certain amount of autonomy were given to the flight attendant to say, use your own judgment instead of following a rigid policy, we're back to that idea of, of compliance versus ethics, uh, rules and regulations versus common sense. They don't have to be at odds with each other, but there has to be a certain willingness to build that into the system. That requires trust of the employees and empowerment of the yeah. employees, that they know that they have a certain flexibility and that they're not going to get in trouble if they do what they believe is the right thing. Right. Right. And don't companies really, I mean, you see it all the time. They really need to empower their employees to take that level of responsibility and, and use judgment because especially in the world we live in now where everyone has a cell phone, well, as a camera that sometimes they use as a phone, you can, it just gets blown up. Oh, yeah. I mean, certainly in, uh, you know, in, in Jewish philosophy and in, in religious philosophy, someone's always watching. But nowadays, you don't need God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not only are people watching, people are recording. <laughs> and do you yeah, want to go point. viral on YouTube? <laughs> oh, seriously. <laughs> For acting like, and, uh, and you know what? <laughs> oh. Right. You want to know a really, a really powerful example of this, this empowerment of employees. You remember a couple of years ago when uh, United Airlines uh, had overbooked and they offered the passengers you know, up to $800 for someone to take a later flight, but nobody wanted to. And so the gate agent followed protocol, did what she was supposed to do. She wasn't allowed to, order, to, to offer more than that. So... Yeah. Computer picked a passenger at random. It shows this doctor who had to be somewhere to get surgery. He refused to get off. They sent on uh, security. 
They dragged him off the plane. Yeah. He was all bloodied up. And United ended up with the worst scandal of the year, a multi-million dollar lawsuit, and their stock value plummeted $1 billion. <laughs> now, in hindsight, isn't yeah. it obvious the gate agent should have offered a few hundred dollars more? But it's not her fault. Yes. It's the fault of the supervisors right. that never instilled in her the sense that she had the authority, yeah. that they would back her up if she had to make an executive decision. Yep. Yep. And trust is so key here. Exactly. It's, oh. it's, it's, it definitely everything. If you don't have uh, trusting relationships, you don't have relationships. Yeah, right. Right. Yes, and I'm going to take a quick uh, sponsor break and then I want to continue the conversation. I'll be here. The Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast is thrilled to be sponsored by Audible.com. You, I'm sure, by now know that Audible.com has thousands of audiobook titles, but you may not know about all the other content they have, including podcasts and guided meditations, Audible originals, and so much more. I think uh, there is great value in exploring and checking it out. I will tell you that one of my favorite things about Audible is that because it, there's that variety of content and you can get it all in one place, you don't have to go from one application to another to get what you want. It's not, you know, it's not just audiobooks. And if I want guided meditations, I got to go someplace else. It, it's the whole nine yards. So visit audibletrial.com slash business growth where you can get a free trial of audible.com and you can check it out for yourself. I think you're going to find what I find, which is uh, it's got great content and it's really easy to navigate. Today we're speaking with Janison Goldson about um, information that is in his new book, Grappling with the Gray, where compliance ends and ethics begins. So um, talk to me some more about intellectual diversity. I want to make sure I, have, I really understand that and how ethics is connected to it. Sure. Uh, this is a topic I, I get into in my TED Talk when I, I make reference to two of the great um, academies of Jewish study 2,000 years ago, and they had very different approaches and philosophies about Jewish law uh, and Jewish thought and culture. And history records that when they debated in the study hall, their arguments got so passionate that it was as if they fought with swords and spears. But when they left the study hall, they were friends. It was never personal. <laughs> it was never ideological. They were both searching for truth and therefore they listened to the other side. They wanted to understand the opposing view because first of all, if I don't understand what you're saying, how can I be sure you're wrong? And if I don't understand why you disagree with me, how can I sure be sure I'm right? And maybe there's common ground where we can work together or maybe sometimes once in a while, I'm actually wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, wouldn't I rather know that I'm wrong than continue to be wrong? I always quote one of my uh, college professors. They said, he never understood why people 
complain about being disillusioned. He said, I would like to be relieved of my illusions. <laughs> of, course, <laughs> of course, our egos get involved, right? Yeah. And that's the problem. Exactly. Right? But yes. today with the group think and the intellectual tribalism and the, and the ideologies um, and the politics, I mean, can you, can you imagine, uh, when's the last time you heard in, in, in a debate in Congress, somebody on the other side of the aisle said, you know, that's a really interesting argument. I never thought about it that way. Thanks for, for giving me a new perspective. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's why they have an 11% approval rating. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh. And when, when the sages used to discuss matters in, 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 the, in the high court, the first person to speak was the least, the least distinguished of the sages. Because if the, if the president of the tribunal speaks first, who's going to argue with him? Ah. So the, the, the least distinguished would speak first, and then it would work its way up so that everybody felt comfortable and confident expressing their own opinion. And that way, every point of view was able to be examined. And what's really fascinating is that if they were trying a capital case where the death penalty was in play, you needed 23 judges and a supermajority to convict. And if you had an unanimous vote to convict, they would not give the death penalty. Because if there weren't one dissenting voice, then they didn't trust their own objectivity. Wow. They were afraid they missed something and that they suffer from some sort of collective unconscious bias. And rather let a likely criminal go free than take the risk that we've overlooked something and, and put to death an innocent person. If you don't have that difference of perspectives, then you don't know that you're anywhere near the truth. And you have to have genuine curiosity. That's right. Because I have to want to hear the other side. I have to right. want to understand where the other person's coming from. I want to right. appreciate the other person's point of view because the more I understand the other point, person's point of view, the more information I have to understand my own. Right. Boy, we've gotten so far away from that. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, you know, it's gratifying that uh, there are still some conversations like this going on. And yes. People want to have them and listen to them. Uh, and, and, you know, certainly the, the, the approach I've taken is that it's unlikely we're going to change much by confronting the world of politics. The system mm -hmm. is just too calcified. But if we move it into a business context, there's one thing we all agree on. We want to make more, more, we want to make more money. Yeah, right. And to recognize that creating a culture of ethics and intellectual diversity is going to produce greater productivity. So let's, let's make it work there. Let's recognize the benefits to ourselves and our customers and our clients and our stakeholders and our shareholders of creating this culture of ethics and trust. And if we do that, maybe it'll start seeping out into the broader community. Right. Wouldn't you think that, that if you can get more people on board with this whole thought process and mindset, that, that it has a collateral effect? Exactly. Yeah. 
Okay. I, I need you to explain something to me that I am really baffled by. And I, I will say in general ethical scandals, but, but there's one that um, I, I just really don't understand. And that is uh, Wells Fargo. So they do this whole thing that blows up in their face, which it should have because they, you know, opening accounts on their customers, in their customers' names and, and on, just so they could get a bonus when it was all fake. And they go through this whole thing and it becomes public knowledge and they're apologizing and whatnot. And then they get caught doing it with business clients. So what, I mean, I don't get it. I, I, don't, I don't get how they didn't learn the lesson. Like what was overriding the lesson, I guess, is my question. Well, it's interesting you, you bring that, um, that example. I, I, I talk about the first incident in my keynote on ethics. Um, I, I, haven't, I haven't looked deeply into, into the more recent developments, but what I remember reading about the initial scandal is that the problem really came from unreasonable yes. sales goals that were put on employees, right. that they were so stressed out that first they began trying to convince customers to open up accounts they didn't really need or want. Then they got, started getting their, their uh, friends and relatives to open accounts and then close them. And then they started opening accounts for customers without their consent. But they were forced into a situation where they were, they felt they had to choose between keeping their jobs and keeping their integrity. Yeah. And so again, that's on the culture. Now you see the progression though. In other words, it started with sort of moving into that gray area. Let's push the customer a little bit. Uh, and then it went to something that was a little less a little more dubious and eventually crossed the line. But that's the way it always works. Very few people wake up saying, I'm gonna go do something illegal today. Right? Most of us wanna do the right thing, but we have pressures. We wanna keep our jobs. We wanna support our families. We want uh, things to work out the way we want them to work out. And so we start looking for those loopholes, for those corners to cut and if you, you know, so, so what happened? What was the result? Is that I think 5,300 Wells Fargo employees were fired for misconduct. Yeah. Nobody was, was fined a billion dollars. Right. But your question is, why didn't they get it? Yeah. Uh, I can't answer that question. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> except, except to hypothesize that they didn't address the core problems in the culture. Yeah. You know, what you send people to prison, and I'm not, I don't remember what the statistics are, I think it's something like 80% end up back there again after they're released. And we call these yeah. correctional institutions. <laughs> I mean, criminals need to be dealt with. You can't leave them on the streets. But shouldn't you have a system that makes a stronger effort to enable them to become truly rehabilitated? 
And if it's not working, take a look at it and figure something out. And I get it. It costs money and it takes creativity. And there are all kinds of other demands on our time and on our budget. But this is where leadership comes in. Are we simply going right. to push the problem down the road because we don't want to deal with it now, let it be somebody else's problem later? Or are we going to do the hard work of figuring out what's going wrong and trying to come up with creative solutions to fix it? And that's not going to happen unless the culture is such that it promotes that type of thinking. Will you share with us um, how people can stay ethical when they're dealing with unethical people? <laughs> yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. And it's hard. <laughs> it, it's, let's, be, let's, be, let's be honest. Um, there are unscrupulous people in this world. There are people that are going to be out to get us to ring, uh, you know, to, to, cut the, to cut those corners and then and, and find those loopholes. And there's no easy, you know, there's no easy answer to that question. You know, hard answers rarely have easy, hard questions rarely have easy answers. Yeah. And so the best we can do is to try to limit our interaction with those kinds of people. You know, I, I just love Jim Rohn's quote that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Right. And, you know, that, that applies to our friends. It applies to our colleagues. It applies to the media that we, that we uh, you know, of which we're consumers. You know, if, if you're watching these programs where people are yelling at each other or they're going into tirades, um, uh, only presenting one side of an issue, that has an effect. And you know, sometimes we have to deal with people. And the best you can do is protect yourself the best you can. And also to be upfront and to be sure of yourself, confident in your determination to remain ethical and to state it. And to say, this, is, this doesn't strike me as ethical. This is not right. And I'm not going to be party to it. Now, of course, there are going to be times when that's really hard. You know, what happens when your boss asks you to do something that's not strictly speaking illegal or against or out of compliance, but it's clearly not ethical? Then, if we, you know, we've got to decide where are where are, um, and where do we stand? What are we all about? Right. And, and the truth is, you know, I was, I've been thinking about this because, you know, I certainly don't want to set myself up as, as a paragon of virtue. In fact, it's somewhat troubling. Um, I, just, I just read this in, uh, in Jonathan Haidt's book. He, he said that he did some research, or they did some research was done into um, which which books in the philosophy department were most frequently stolen or not returned? <laughs> Want to guess? <laughs> books on ethics. 
<laughs> you know, you got to laugh, but it's really, <laughs> it's really sad. Wow. It means you can study this stuff and get a PhD and be a world authority, and it's not going to have one <laughs> whit of impact on your behavior. You know, we, 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 have a, we have a saying that the longest distance in the universe is from the head to the heart. And you can know something intellectually, it can have absolutely no impact on your behavior. So it really comes down to our convictions. What do we believe? And we're not going to, you know, I said before, we're not going to get right all the time. I was just thinking I, uh, last time I was traveling. You know, whenever I go traveling, my mother... Uh, Turn turn ninety two this month, um, and uh, good health. She she always says when you stay in a hotel, will you bring me back the little soaps. <laughs> I don't know why she likes yeah. these things, but she <laughs> likes these things. Okay, so let's process this. <laughs> <laughs> the soaps are there for the customer. I'm the customer. If I want to take a yeah. shower or I want to wash my face, the soap is there for my, for my convenience. But if I don't want to use the soap, am I still entitled to take it? I don't know. I think so, because I think it's all wrapped up in the price of the room. And, you know, that, that could be. And that's what I tell myself. <laughs> But I wouldn't take the robe or the towels. Well, no, that's certainly not. That's certainly not. But right. I'm telling myself this because I'm planning on doing it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, if, if I really wanted to be um, committed to, to ethics, maybe I'd give it more thought. Maybe I'd, I'd ask some more opinions. Maybe I would simply err on the side of caution. You know, there's another question. If you, if you take from the mini bar and they're going to charge you $4 for water, so then you go down the next day to the, uh, to the, to the mini mart and you, you buy the same water for 79 cents and you put it back in the, in the mini bar. Wow, really? Are you allowed to do that? I don't think so. Because I haven't cost the hotel anything and they're gouging right. me with their prices anyway. Well, that's the rationalization. Right. On the other hand, they're charging me a premium for convenience sake. Right. right. These, these are gray areas. There isn't necessarily a definitive answer to these questions, but it's grappling with them that that's what strengthens our moral mus muscles so that when we have to make more substantive decisions, we are more, we're better equipped to do that. When the stakes are higher, we will, really, we will already have thought through some of these issues so that we have a better chance of getting it more right more often. Ah. But if we don't do that hard work, then we're just gonna keep making the same mistakes over and over and over yeah. again. Right. Oh my goodness. Uh, once again, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. It makes me think about so many things that, you know, like my brain is just buzzing. Um, so, Yonison, thank you so much. Will you tell the listeners how they can find your book, how they can find you, all that good stuff, please? 
Yeah, well, the easiest way is my website, which is my name, yonasongoldson.com, Y-O-N-A-S-O-N, G-O-L-D-S-O-N. Uh, I'm very active on LinkedIn, a little less so on the other social media. Uh, the book is not out yet, but it's due out in October, so not sure when we're airing this. Uh, maybe it will be out by then, but there's certainly a, you can find information about it on my website. And uh, I'm always eager to, to take the conversation further. Uh, anyone who wants to be in touch with me, um, I invite you to, to be in contact. Awesome. It's really great. I, I just, it, it's so thought provoking. So uh, thank you again, listeners. Thank you. I, I can only imagine what's going on in your brains because I know what's going on in mine. Uh, and I would like to, of course, thank our sponsor, audible.com. Head on over to audibletrial.com slash business growth and get your free trial of audible.com and then go exploring and have some fun with it. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. At Zenni, you get the same quality frame and lens options that you'd get from an optician for one-tenth of the price, including blue blockers, progressives, prescription sunglasses, and more. The best part? Try on any frame, anywhere, with our 3D virtual try-on. Zenni.com. Eyewear for everyone. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh, man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.